every life has a story. And every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. This is Nathaniel Kostia, and tonight I have a special guest. His name is Peter Gradusov. Yes, a Russian name, but a true blue Australian man who loves the Lord and he ministers almost everywhere he gets the opportunity to do so. He's had a pretty rough ride, a lot thrown at him in life. And his story tonight will really touch your heart. I can't wait to hear it. So let's welcome Peter. Peter. Yes. You know, the beauty, you know, when we introduce people here at Kingdom Stories, people have no idea what's going to happen in the next 45, 50 minutes. Sure. It's a discovery journey when people share their story. And I bet you our audience can't wait to hear yours. Were you a Perth boy always? Uh, no, I was born in Kalgoorlie in 19... Sorry, I was born in Adelaide in 1955. And uh, I shifted to Jamaica when I was four. Your dad was working there or your mom? Uh, well, my, my dad, I've inherited a lot from my father. And uh, he wanted to escape the world, so he left to Jamaica. And he said to my mother, if you want to be with me, you, you can come. Because Jamaica is not really a place for family. But um, we went. And, uh, so your mum followed him? Yeah, yeah. He's Russian? Or his father was Russian? Okay, so his father's Russian, his mother's German, and her name was Neumann, which sent me off on a, um, a long chase looking into the origins of that name. Okay. And your mum? My mother was born in Busselton, and her parents came from London, um, I think it was after the, after the First World War. And they, they had a particularly hard life too. But neither my father nor my grandparents on my mother's side or my, or my mother had, had God in their life. And so their troubles were without God. And yeah. without God, they're terrible. So you moved to Jamaica. Do you remember much of the years before you moved to Jamaica? Uh, a little. Um, uh, I know I got into trouble a lot. And um, that was probably because I wasn't supervised because my mother had to go out and work. My father, my father had this, um, well, I don't, I, I don't know where this attitude comes from, but women were like cattle and chattel and, you know, you, you rode them for what they were worth and then you ditched them and moved on to the next one. And I know it's not a kind thing to say about my father. I think he would have been a good dad if he, had, if he hadn't gone through what he went through. But that's what he was like. Mm. And, um, and your mum put up with it? She did, yeah. She, she didn't understand boundaries or she didn't understand her part in it. Yeah. That she always selected men like that. She didn't understand that he was just using her and he wasn't going to come back. Because we shifted from Jamaica when I was seven back to Cal, we came back to Kalgoorlie, which is where my mother. All of you, lived. or just you and mum? My mother and my myself, my brother and my sister. 
There were three of us at that stage. Yeah. And he remained in Jamaica? And Your dad remained in Jamaica? He or? remained in Jamaica. Jamaica is like, um, it's a place of a lot of artists. You know, Gauguin went to the uh, Pacific and lots of, I don't know, lots of artists went to the West Indies. So what did he do there? What did he work? Uh, he was a writer. He produced plays. Um, you know, he was an author. And uh, I, I don't really know an awful lot about what he did. Um, I've seen some of the evidence of it. You know, I, I don't really like to brag about that stuff at all or I don't even like to talk about it. You know? So you came back to Cal? Yeah. And uh, just with mum for many years? With my mother, yes. Well, got back when I was seven and left Kalgoorlie when I was 12, came down to Perth. You moved? The whole moved, family? Yeah, yeah, the whole family. And during these five years, has your dad appeared on the scene or not? Uh, he communicated once or twice. And my mother, my mother kind of kept this myth alive that he was coming back, but he yes. really wasn't. You know, it was, that was her want. She yes. wanted him to come back. She wanted to have a, a united family and, you know, uh, build a family, do all those kind of things. Whereas my father, I think he lost his humanity a long time ago. He, he grew up in Germany in the midst of the Second World War and um, he survived on his wits. He had a Russian name in the midst of Germany. So yeah. if he spoke German with anything of a Russian accent, it was off to the camps to work. Yeah. So he's, he was the most, he was a very, very clever manipulator and con artist. Mm. He was a genius. And I was very angry at him for a long time, but as someone pointed out to me, if he hadn't been that way, I wouldn't have been born. Cause yeah. He, he Kept wouldn't him be alive. <laughs> yeah, you know, so another positive, another negative turned into a positive, you know. Wow. And uh, so you're 12, you're in Perth now, in a yes. big city. I'd, I've been in Perth a since times. 12, you know. Yeah. I've shunted around a bit. And what done... school did you go to? was high school by then. It was high school by then, uh, Hamilton Senior High School in... Hammy Hill. Hammy, Hammy Hill, you got it. You know Hammy Hill. <laughs> I know every suburb in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that was it. <laughs> nice. And your mum settled in okay? Yeah. My mum was, um, life was tough for her, you know, like uh, she had two boys and, and I was a handful, you know, at the time I probably wouldn't have admitted it, yeah. would have blamed my mum, but I can see now that I was a very boisterous child and I was very good at getting into trouble and as you get older, you can get into bigger, bigger better trouble, trouble yeah. which I did. What, and what sort of trouble did you get in during high school? Fights or more smoking, drinking? I, di I didn't start doing that until I was probably 17, so I was a late starter there. But I could get into trouble without drugs and alcohol, never mind with them. And when I got into trouble with drugs and alcohol, look out. You know? <laughs> it, Did you have a lot of time up your sleeve, like in the sense um, you, you could go wherever you wanted? Yes. Well... There, there are, you know, to put it into pigeonholes, uh, the Middle East, the Mediterranean have got families that I call enmeshed, you know. Everybody's on top of everyone. They all know each other's yeah. business. They interfere. Yeah. They tell yeah. you what to do. They tell you how to live. In Australia, 
we come from disconnected families yes. where no one gives a toss about what you're doing or where you are or even has a clue where you are. And in my case, you know, to see parents around was rare. You know, was, I feel like I brought myself up. Mm. And helped your little brother and you had a sister as well? I did. Well, there was four years difference between myself and my brother, so I was a bit remote to him. And, and my sister, sister I, I lived in my own world. I didn't really focus on my, my brother or sister at all. I hardly knew them. I, I was into science, so I had a chemistry set. I built rockets, bombs. Um, I did really dangerous things. And I got into electronics. Um, like I was 14 years old and I built an 80,000-volt generator, which, which was fantastic for zapping ants and electrifying the back garden and... When I was at high school, there was a guy there who, he was a genius actually, produced weapons, you know, literally a, 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 a cannon on a stock that could fell a small tree. And half the school became his imitators and I was one of them. And yeah. so, you know, I had a bomb making factory out the back. And <laughs> this is before I met drugs. <laughs> but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I had evil on mind. I was just inquisitive. It was play and... Discovery and yeah, yeah, you know. So, what about sport? Did you play sport? Uh, well, no, I was sport. I shied away from, and um, uh, I, I was interested in sport when I was a lot younger. But um, I wore glasses, and I got, I got them broken a few times, and the trouble that I got into at home for breaking my glasses like that just was a no-no. And uh, I also got injured because of the fact I couldn't see too well. And so I shied away from sport. And I, I became the pigeon-chested musician who hid away in the classroom with the other pigeon-chested musicians and strummed guitar while everyone else was doing sport. And we thought we were amazing at the fact that we could get out of it and escape. <laughs> so there was an escape for you. Music was an escape. Yeah, music was an escape. Yeah, you bet. You had records. You had uh, your own record player and... Did you listen to a lot of music or mainly played it and learned yourself? Well, part of my electronics things, I built a crystal set and I built a three-valve radio when I was 10 and um, I built a crystal set when I was about eight. So I used to listen to the radio. So the radio was absorbing and so were uh, radio shows. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm still like that, you know. Like I, I don't like modern media. I kind of like the connected. Audio. Yeah, I like the connected. I also like to read things. I don't like listening to a Audio. talking head telling me what's going on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened when you were – did you finish school? Um, yes, I did. Yeah, I got a scholarship actually. Oh, well done. Um, did you go to your – Okay, I got the highest mark in physics in the state. Wow. I designed a cyclotron. Not that it did me much good. Um, and uh, – my Jewish friend, Betty, she used to cry when I told that story because uh, I designed a cyclotron and I'd done brilliantly at physics but, and the best job I ever got was teaching guitar to Aboriginal guys. <laughs> but I loved it, you know. Yeah. I loved it more than them. And I got disillusioned with physics. But, yeah, physics, I was, I was brilliant at physics and I got a conceited pass for English because I could barely express myself. Oh, you're doing much better now. I love that. <laughs> well, I, I had a pool accident when I was 11 or 12 and I was unconscious for about a day and I changed, something changed in me. I stopped being able to feel 
And the only way I could experience life was to do extremely dangerous things and put myself in extreme danger and then I would feel fear and I'd feel alive. Adrenaline. So Adrenaline. Adrenaline, yeah. Today they've got labels for that, you know. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it was kind of characteristic of me, you know, like my middle name was trouble in that sense. You know? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have evil intent, but man, did it come down on me hard, you mm-hmm. know, like I was, I'd often be bewildered as to why I was in trouble because the discipline I received, you know, I, I, I've learned, I learn a lot from people who explain things to me with care and love. Yes. But getting, getting beaten and yelled at and blamed has never helped. You know, I didn't really yeah. learn anything from that. Mm. I learned to keep my mouth shut or lie and don't get caught no matter what. Yeah, because you <laughs> yeah. cough it. Yeah, you cough it. Yeah, you got it. How did you go down the slippery slope? When did you start with drugs? Well, I, I started, um, it was music that led me there and I, I teamed up with an equal bunch of misfits at school and they became my best friends and I lived with them for quite a few years and we were all musicians. So and you, left, you left home? I left home, yeah, when I was 17, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mum, I was going to leave home when I was 14 because I went to a Led Zeppelin concert. My mum wouldn't let me go and I said, you don't let me go, I'm leaving home. So she let me go. <clears throat> and uh, see, I didn't have a father around to, as a guiding hand and I, I know a lot about that. Like I... I have really got a deep heart for boys who've missed their father and younger ones as well. I know they're trouble, but they don't seem to bother me. Yeah. You know, because I just see myself. (laughs) So what happened with with these boys, with this group, with this music group? Okay, well, and this was a repeating pattern in my life. I formed friendships with men like my father. Mm Mm-hmm who were absolutely genius con artists, yeah. brilliant. And so the guy who was the leader of this band was an absolute genius. He had the smoothest language and talk. He was very intelligent and smart. And he had, he had, he's probably one of the, I would say he would be the best musician I ever played with. Yeah. And, um, but he had us all convinced we were going to be world famous. We were convinced. You know? Wonderful. And we, we walked on this cloud. We're already there. Yeah. And that promoted me to do things like I broke into the concert hall here when Paul McCartney came and we took a bag of dope and we said, oh, he's, you know, the security caught us and said, oh, he's rung us up because he, he needs some weed, you know. Yeah. And um, we, got a, we gave him a tape. And um, any pop artist who came to town and did something like that tried to, tried to hijack them and get, get their ear and tell them how wonderful we were and we were starborn and have a listen to this. And um, <laughs> I think they call it there. chutzpah in Israel. <laughs> you know, it's a brush and um, uh, full of attitude, really. Okay. But the sad thing about that is that my best friend Odin died. His brother is a vegetable today. Wouldn't even recognise anyone. So you started using drugs, all of you? Yeah, we did. We all started using drugs. Was it just drugs. weed? Hey? Was it just weed or heavier stuff? Well, it, it started with alcohol because it couldn't get hold of anything else. Perth, Perth was a backwater, you know. 
the, the drug squad were honest in those days. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if if they if they raided you, you didn't get beaten up. You know, they they were kind of quite pleasant about the whole thing, <laughs> as long as you didn't have any drugs on you, which we were very quick to get rid of. Um, uh, yeah, so it progressed. Alcohol, weed. But the thing is that I know today what makes a drug addict is th there was no such thing as enough for me. Like I, I just smoked ridiculous amounts of it. And, and it brought psychosis on. Yes. And I don't know, I'd say I was demon-possessed. I was tormented by voices in my head and apparitions and the most horrible, horrible things. Probably the worst drug I ever took was weed, what it did to me mentally. Wow. And heroin was fantastic because it took all those symptoms away and I, I could calm Black down. Out. I could be relaxed, you know. I, I wasn't so incredibly tense and afraid. And um, I think that was... I think my main problem was is I couldn't deal with people and I couldn't deal with life on its own terms. I, I had this dreadful fear and insecurity in me and uh, I couldn't face things like other people did. And the only way I could ever face them is to have something in me to, you know, prop me up. Yeah. But that got out of control, you know, completely. And so I did a series of geographicals. This was still with this idea that, you know, you're going to become one day. Fame is coming, you know. You were. Just watch me. In your own world. It's all coming, you know. And, and I lived in the most squalid places and mixed with some of the, the very low people, and I was one of them. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at them. I, I lived with prostitutes and pimps in Melbourne and Sydney, and I shared needles with sailors who'd just come back from Bangkok. I mean, it was depraved. And I ended up with hepatitis A, B, and C, and malnutrition, um, and a few other charming illnesses as well. And I was still a young man. I was 23. I came back to Perth. I looked like a skeleton. Were you working or were you functional? I couldn't work, no. I'd, I'd roll up to work on payday. That's the only day I could get so to work. So how would you survive? I'd just stop selling. Well, petty theft, the dole. Um, I, there were lots of people who supported. The, the great thing about my friend, who he didn't just rope us into believing we were going to be famous. He roped a whole crowd in, and they were quite happy to support us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they did. We used to have people cook meals for us and bring food around because we'd be starving a lot of the time. We'd spend all our money on drugs. Went to the court hotel once. And the four of us ate the entire smorgasbord because we hadn't eaten for a week and we were starving. And the management said, don't come back ever. <laughs> so we didn't. We went <laughs> well, somewhere you else ate, you ate for that. another smorgasbord. Plates and all. But I, I, look, I, I, I kind of put... I know when I start talking about these things and I get into the humour, I, I can't put a rosy glow on it. But, but underneath, man, I was dead. I was absolutely dying. Inside. Did you have any awareness of what was going on? Could you could you see yourself? I hurt all the time, yeah. and I was alone. It, I hurt, man. I hurt, but I I kept up this brash front. Yeah, I've still got that front, but you know I can go through the hurt really easily. I can just travel in and out of there these days. I'm not I'm not the tough guy that I tried to put across in those days.
So we did a series of geographic calls, came back to Perth, and then I met a woman who thought she could rescue me. And uh, she figured if she loved me enough that I would get better, but uh, that didn't happen. <clears throat> and um, it, did, it did alleviate things for a while. But, uh, and I stayed in the music scene and lots of opportunities came to me, including opportunities in Perth bands, but I just managed to shoot myself in the foot every time. If I had to go to an audition, I'd be drunk and mouthing off and obnoxious. And, and they'd, even though I could play well and I was accomplished, that would be the end of it. You know, we don't want someone like him in our band. You know? Yeah. Doesn't show up or shows up. But, but I was afraid of succeeding. Yeah. I didn't realise that. You know? I didn't know how to deal with that. I knew how to be a complete failure and I knew how to be a mess up. I did you stick around be... with this girl? Did you, did you stick around with the girl for a while? Yeah, I stuck around with her for a while, 17 years, poor woman. Um, did you get married eventually? Or? We eventually got married, yes. And, um, but what happened interim is I got clean and I got introduced to the same fellowship that other people you know have, and it's a 12-step fellowship. Any, any children? No, I decided I, I, I had this lie that resided in my head that I was evil seed, that I was spawn of the devil. And some of that came from my father yeah. because of who he was and what he did. My father went to Jamaica. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say why he went there. But anyway, he had some dark ulterior motives. <clears throat> and... um. I was afraid that I'd inherited all that and I didn't want to put that into a child. So I never had any children of my own. It's sad I made my wife have an abortion. Of all the things I ever regretted, that was probably the greatest, I think. Mm. Yeah. And, um, but we didn't get married until I got clean. And of course, man, did that turn the tables? Like, if you're in a dysfunctional family, and uh, everyone's got their role. You know, yeah. I was the hopeless drug addict and, and she was the one who kept the show together. I did ask her after we, long time after we separated. They said, what on earth were you doing with me? And she said, I thought it was exciting because the police and the bailiffs were always rolling up at the door and I was jumping the back fence and she was telling them, you know, oh, he's not here or he doesn't live here anymore. And in the middle of the night, um, We'd, I'd get a van and pack up and shift because they didn't have uh, this, they didn't have the connection with the internet today, so they couldn't trace yeah. people like that. So yeah. you could lead all the people I, I could lead all the people I owed money to on a merry dance around the metro area, and and you didn't need a reference. <laughs> I, and I used to blame all the other drug addicts. You're the people who've wrecked this for, for people getting a house because you know you trashed their house. And I thought, but I was one of them. Yeah. You know, I contributed to all that. And I, the other thing is I became a doctor shopper too. So I went around getting drugs. Well, I like narcotics. So, uh, you know, I'd have five or six doctors treating me at once. And I got very good at that. That was all about manipulation. And I, it was like this determination to go in there. I will get what I want and I will do what I have to do. If I have to beg, cry, crawl, threaten, smash the place up, take violence on him, I'll do any of it. But I will get drugs by the time I've left. <laughs> and it was, it's, can you imagine applying that kind of attitude to something positive? Wow. 
But I didn't. I applied it to destroying myself. Anyway, and uh, that's not what I'm doing today. So. No, no. <laughs> and uh, your your girl was she? I mean, your wife was she ever on drugs or she kept away from it all? Um, she did try once or twice, but she basically kept away from like she was functional. She was working. She was keeping everything. I don't together. know about functional. I, I I often say ours was a match made in hell. You know, and um, I she she provided um, she provided the escape from trouble, and I provided the trouble. <laughs> and uh, she was well supplied. Yes. And so she used to swap insurances on the car because I'd done another red light and written off a couple of cars, or you know, I did I did crazy things, and. Uh, she kept me from experiencing the consequences. I should have been in jail for a lot of the things I did. And you never ended up in jail? No, I didn't, no. Like my father was like that. He, spent his, he should have been in jail for the things he did. He, but he, he lived on his wits and he stayed, I don't know, he, he did geographicals and escapes and all that kind of stuff. Have you connected with him? He's, he's not alive anymore. Have you seen him in his latter years? I saw him when I was 28. Where was he in Australia? He came to Perth, but he came to prey on us. So at the time, even though I was, I wasn't really compass mentis. I, look, I, I adopted this, you know, pe other people in recovery say, oh, you know, you've got clean and, and all the love that was inside you as a child is now coming out. I didn't have love in me. I didn't care about other people at all. I couldn't care less. Yeah. And I never got shown love and I didn't have love in me. And so I didn't really care about my wife. I didn't care about the family that I had. As long as I got looked after. And, and I knew there was something wrong with me because of that. So I put this pretense up about caring. But it was just a pretense. You know? it, wasn't, it wasn't a real thing. Mm. So I acted like I was in the... And most of that was guilt because she was really good with the guilt. And so you know, I'd hang my head with the guilt and go be a good boy and do all the right things. And then I'd get drunk and smash the place up in revenge, you know. Did you keep a job during this period? Um, <clears throat> I, I did work, but, um, you know, my attitude and behaviour usually saw to it that I didn't last long. So I ended up working for myself. That was the only way I could stay employed. Doing? Electronics. I, I repaired musical equipment, mm -hmm. uh, guitars, amplifiers, because I studied electronics. I... Um, was into keyboards and computers and stuff like that, you know. Right. And um, and and I had this attitude, you know, that, that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I I have since discovered that, that I actually wasn't all that great at doing those things. There are other people who are way better than me who didn't make as much noise about it as I did. <laughs> but I don't I don't care. I don't mind about that. I the idea that technology is the answer to the world is long gone for me. Yeah. Jesus is the answer for the world. How did you meet Jesus? Or what happened to you? How did you recover? Have you got tissues? <laughs> um, we can probably... I've got some in my pocket, yeah. All right. Okay, so when, when I got clean, our household became... This is an analogy. My, my analogies are colourful and, and maybe a little exaggerated, but... Not far off, you know. 
we became like Greylands if you took all the drugs out of patients yes. and just let them roam, okay? <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, repressed anger. You know, I've been drugged out on my anger for ages and all of a sudden I've got anger and I've been drugged out on my fears. All of a sudden I've got fears and, you know, I, I didn't see much difference in my home life at all. There were meals up the wall, broken furniture, screams in the middle of the night, arguments, doors slammed, ripped off. It, it, was, the, it was the doors that did the talking in our house. Yeah. You didn't explain that you're... I'm, I'm upset because I would like such and such to happen and I would like you to help me with it. None of that stuff. You slam the door almost off the hinge and you hope that they got the message. And, of course, they didn't. <laughs> and... Um, after a bout of one of this, I think, I think she called the police on me and they drew a gun on me on one stage as I was behaving like a maniac. And I, I thought, I, I can't do this and stay clean. I was clean and behaving like this. And so I went to a friend's place who, uh, he lived in a rather beat up area of town and he, his house looked like, you know, he'd had a lifetime of drug using, but it, it was quiet and calm. And I went there on a... Friday night and I stayed Saturday and then he said on Sunday I'm going to church do you want to come and I that's had new. Huh? that's new no one had invited me to church before not like that I've been to church as a kind of cultural activity yeah my, my ex-wife my first wife was Greek Orthodox and um and I'd she been was along Greek. There. she was actually Greek she was Greek yeah and um, they spoke in, in Greek, which I didn't understand, and I had no idea what it was about anyway. So um, I, did, I did have some input about what Christianity was. My mother took me to church when I was younger, and when I was in trouble, which is often, I used to get to the top of this peppercorn tree and sing hymns to God. Mm, there you go. Praise God from the top of this peppercorn tree. <laughs> like it was just me in the sky and... Uh, on one occasion, like I was in serious trouble. My, you know, my uncle got a gun. He was going to shoot me on one occasion. I stayed up there for a good part of a whole day because I thought my life was at stake. And I used to praise God up there. And um, so I went over to this friend's place and um, I had, I'd, I'd already come to believe in a power greater than myself because that's where the 12-step program leads you. I, I knew there was something looking after me. I, I could... I could give you a list of times where I should be dead. Yeah. And something stopped me. And, and it was so profound that it wasn't like, you know, maybe even the people around me were looking up at the sky and going, somebody just saved us from dying there, you know. <laughs> and it was usually because of my actions. So I, I knew something was looking after me. I call it my guardian angel or something yeah. like that. So you went to church? Huh? So you went to church? So I went to church with this friend and um, it was a Pentecostal church. It was the original Triple C, which is now called 3C, Phil Pringle. And um, That's in Sydney? Uh, Phil Pringle is, but 3C is over here. Oh, it's okay. in Manjur. Um And uh, there was a guy playing music. Where was this? C3 or 3C? C3, wasn't it? The C3 church? Three C C three whatever okay. I don't know in Heaven Heights in it used to be called Triple C in the in the early okay. days in uh, Padbury. Um, well, where I went was 
uh, in the days that I went was to the Leederville Tech because okay. they didn't yes. have a church building. Oh, so they probably had a campus there. Yeah, so, and I don't know much about churches, but anyway, there was a guy playing music and he used to work in Cosmic Sound when I worked there. And he was, an, I don't know, I seemed to associate myself with people I thought were con artists and sharks and all that stuff. And he, he was... Um, he was a musician and he was his greatest talent was self-promotion he was brilliant at it it was really good i just wish i had some of that i would have been i would have been the pop star i was hopeless at self-promotion and um and i looked at him and he's singing to god and i just thought he's a phony you know like judgment come out of me like look at this guy what does he think he's doing who do you think he's kidding and then there was these ladies who were in front of me and they 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 had like dance costumes on, they started doing liturgical dances. I didn't know that what, what that was. And they were leaping around the place with their hands up, praising God. And, and it freaked me out. I thought, they've escaped from Greylands and they're not taking their medication. There's something <laughs> wrong with them. <laughs> but the, the main thing, I wasn't worried about them, whether they were, you know, loonies or what. All I was worried about is my self-image, that if one of my friends saw me in a place yeah. like this... <laughs> they thought that, I was a great one. You know, I don't, I don't want to be associated with you. I don't care what you do. Yeah. And then they came and sat in front of me and it was like... <laughs> like I could have died. I felt the embarrassment on me. Like I, I felt ashamed to be around people like that. And they got... They prostrated themselves and started praising God. And then this guy playing music... And something came over me. Yeah. I started to weep. And the music changed. It was heavenly music. And, and these women prostrated before the throne were like angels. And I didn't know who I was. Mm. And uh, his spirit entered into me. And in that moment, I, I became his. Wow. And it's been During that way worship. ever since. During worship. During worship. I wasn't even worshiping. I was just no, no, standing just there, listening, just to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. watching others worship. Yeah, dancers worshiping and and people playing music. Yeah, yeah. And you felt in your spirit that something had entered you. I didn't feel. I knew it. You knew it. I, I knew that that was Jesus, and I knew that I belonged to Him. Wow. And then you know, I got baptized. Um, I got baptized by the. You know there's an old saying, don't shoot the messenger? Yes. I got the most obnoxious guy on the planet who brought me that message to get baptised. Yeah. <laughs> he was religious, he was judgmental, condemning, a bit like me actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's what made him obnoxious. But he baptised him. He did no, 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 him. he came and told me that I needed to get baptised. Yeah. Because I, I didn't know what getting baptised, I didn't know you had to get baptised. I didn't know yeah. that stuff. So. so I went and got baptised and then I truly knew I was his. But um, he said, when I came out of the waters, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. And um, uh, I talked to my friend Charles, who was a minister, and he had a similar story to me. And yeah. um, he said to me, it's like, it's, it's like logging on the internet in the old days. He said, you didn't have a browser, you just had a cursor flashing, and you had to put the right code in, and when you did, you were there. <laughs> And I went, oh, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I was walking to a meeting on a, on a, it was a, might have been an autumn day where the sun was shining, it was a Saturday. 
and I was walking to a meeting. I was living in a in a halfway house, a Wesley Mission halfway house, because home life had turned into battle zone. You know, unbelievable. I couldn't I couldn't spend time there. So, um, and on the way to this meeting, that was walking. I walked under an almond tree, and I'm praying. I'm going, Lord, show me what it means. What What does the Holy Spirit mean? What is this Holy Spirit? How does it manifest? How do people know yeah. when they've got it? And a wind came up, and it blew all the petals off the almond tree, and I was showered with almonds, wow. almond petals, all over me and, and in front of me and behind me and around me, and I, and I kind of came out of my prayer, and I went, Wow, wow, that, that's really nice. Yeah, but Lord, what is this Holy Spirit thing? You know, show me what the Holy Spirit is. And I kept walking. There was another almond tree. Another wind came up. I got showered with almond blossoms the same way. And then I woke up and something happened to me. It was like I moved out of my body. And, and I went up to the height of the trees and I could see all the trees. And I could see all of creation praising God. Yes. Everything and everyone and everything in creation holding its hands up, praise God, praise the living God. And I think there's a psalm that says that, you know, all creation praises God. And um, I, also, I also went and went home from that same meeting one night at about 11 o'clock with a pea soup fog around. And I'd been scared of the dark my whole life. But some things happened in Jamaica when I was there that put this dark shadow of my life that didn't leave until I was baptised. And I knew it had gone. And so I walked through Hyde Park in town at 11 o'clock at night, pitch black, pitch black. And I groped around and they had these huge Morton Bay fig trees. And I went and found a crevice buried right in between the the, the branches of them. And I sat down in there like that and I put my feet out and I just relaxed and and I was giving thanks to the Lord. And I was thinking I could never have done this. I was so scared of the dark. I'd be worried about scorpions or bugs or, or getting accosted or ghosts or, you know, spirits inhabiting, and I wasn't. I was just entirely at peace. And I think they're praising God that you have set me free from the darkness in my life, and I'm not afraid. It was just wonderful. Wow. It was wonderful. And I, I, I had a honeymoon period, mm-hmm. and uh, miraculous things just happened to me, miraculous things after miraculous things. Like every day it was. And... Uh, I don't know why the Lord chose to pour out so much upon me in my in my early walk, but you become after. I, I, it's not that I became acclimatized to it or took it for granted. Um, maybe my sense of wonder dropped a bit. I think you know, like life gets real, and then you have to start dealing with some real stuff. You know, like it's not all honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, this opened another phase of my journey. My, my whole journey of getting clean is the story of the children of Israel mm-hmm. in, in Egypt. Egypt is Mitzrayim in Hebrew. It means, it means a difficult place, um, trapped. It's called, um, what does Moses call it? He calls it the house of bondage. Yeah. So I was trapped in Egypt in the house of bondage. Yes. And I cried out. And the scripture doesn't say they cried out to the Lord. It said they just cried out. I cried out. 
And the Lord took me out of the house of bondage and he took me through the waters and made me clean and took me into the desert. And the desert is the Lord's rehab. And I know because I've been to rehab and I know what rehab's like. You get food, clothing and shelter. You have a complete identity crisis. You don't know who you are anymore. You want to keep going back to Egypt because they have nice leeks and potatoes. I think leeks and potatoes, you know, and you want to go back there to whippings and slavery and, and uh, you get instructions. And in their case it was 613, but in my case it was 12, is the 12 steps. And, um, yeah. and the, the story about recovering from addiction is so much more than just putting down drugs. I think that's the most misunderstood part of it. There's some weakness in me that leads me back and keeps me vigilant. And I have to be vigilant. But I thank God for that. Yeah. It, that's, like, that's like Paul and his um, thorn in his side. You know, like his grace is sufficient. And what it does, like the greatest human failing as a Christian that I've experienced is I get lazy. Yeah. And I forget and I don't care. But I've got this thorn in the side that keeps reminding me, like, you really want to go back? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I did. I did go back. You went back. I got back from Israel following my, uh, I, I, got, I got involved in he Hebraic roots. I learned to speak. Hebrew, I learnt to read it. I speak it like a two or three year old, so don't get don't get excited about my Hebrew. But I went to Israel. I had lots of Israeli friends. I played in a, a band and inaugurated a um, a Sephardi shul. And nice. uh, I really got into it. I was even going to convert at one stage. Judaism. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but I got this vision from the Lord, and it was me climbing a black monolith. And I was abseiling, and he held on to me. He was holding on to me, mm -hmm. not me holding on to him. And I was often reminded of this when I used to take my little dog for a walk and he was on a leash. He'd want to stick his nose in all kinds of stuff that gets trouble. And that was me on the black monolith. And the Lord would go, sorry, you're getting into trouble. Pull me up. So I, I did that whole excursion, and, and he delivered me from it. I didn't fall into that place. And um. I came back from Egypt and it's like someone turned down the wick in my physical body and that was the result of me getting hep C, which had manifested over a long period of time wow. and I had ended up with cirrhosis of the liver. And then I had to do interferon. Interferon was the only known treatment of it and it's a lovely little treatment. It's like shooting up battery acid. Mm. And uh, it's, it's aptly named interferon. It interferes with everything. The hair falls out. I went back to my teenage weight. I didn't like food. I was covered in ulcers. My red and white blood cell count dropped below what keeps you alive at times. I was terribly ill, terribly, terribly, terrible, terrible treatment. And I, I happened to be on the worst end of the scale. And then in the midst of that, I hurt my back and I had numbness in my spine and back and down my leg and shooting pains. And I went to a doctor. And he prescribed me a huge script of painkillers. And that didn't help. Well, I went yippee, some freebies, you know, yeah. like I'm really in pain and I'm suffering. The trouble is, when I took the first one, I couldn't stop. I, I took the, I went by the directions for the first dose. It says take two, four times a day. A day. Well, I thought, what about four? 
four times a day. And by the time a week was out, I'd used 20 scripts of Panadine Fort, which is 160 tablets. And um, I just, I went off onto this, I fell off a cliff and I ended up back on heroin. And then um, some other things happened. My, my wife developed depression and she got put on antidepressants. And she, we didn't know this, but she was late and bipolar, and that sent her off into a bipolar attack. And uh, I, I, I didn't know what was happening. Like I was, I was on drugs. I couldn't help her. I, my mind wasn't working properly. We got miraculous help through this. God didn't abandon us. Yeah. But she started taking bipolar drugs, and they, they started eating away her spine and her neck, and she couldn't bear it anymore. She was the kind of person who could not bear drugs. She did not like to have her clarity lost in any yes. way. And so she came off them unaided. And With they took a lot of pain. Hey? With a lot of pain. Well, the pain stopped. Oh. Because it was the drugs that was causing it, the okay. anti-bipolar okay. drugs. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, she went, she fell off a cliff in depression. Now I've seen depression. But this is not like anything I've ever seen. This was, this was induced by pharmacia. Mm -hmm. And I mean that. Yeah. You know what that means in the Bible? Yeah. Pharmacia. And it was like, it was like the evil one came and snatched away from me, stole her personality, sucked all the life out of her and took her life because she died. She went and took her life. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I was 23 years with her. And in my whole life, the only person that I ever that I ever bonded with was her. I didn't bond with my mother. I never bonded with friends. I was I was such an isolated person. I bonded with her, and to lose her just tore me apart. Mm. And I decided I was going to follow her. I didn't want to live. I was using heroin at the time. I was going to follow her. And. I had Christian friends praying with me. I think I was carried during that period of time, to be honest. Yeah. I was carried. I want, you know, there's a whole bunch of details with it, but I won't go into it. I ended up in rehab anyway, getting clean again, but in this terrible place of grief. And the, this, this, this memory sticks in my mind. I used to go for walks in the rehab. They had a pathway and there was a grapevine there. Yeah. And I would pass that grapevine. 20 times, I did 20 laps. And every time I went past that grapevine, I was reminded that unless you abide in the vine, you can do nothing. That's right. And um, I have a grapevine at home, which I've trimmed. And when you cut a leaf off a grapevine, it dies within half a day. Yeah. You can trim other trees. They're still green and flourishing a week later. But a grapevine is... A Instantly. And what it said to me is one day at a time. You're going to have to hang on to me one day at a time. I'm going to be enough one day at a time. That's powerful. And uh, it's, it's like as a human being, you know, like everything that I'd gathered in my life was tipped out and poured out and became worthless. I would have given away everything I possess and own and everything, my musicianship, everything to have her back. But it wasn't going to happen. And I took that to the Lord, yeah. which is, oh, sorry, sorry. the belt of the microphone, <laughs> which is the right place to take it. And 
I was out of my mind for about the first two years. It was trauma. Like I couldn't think. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't comprehend what was happening to me at times. I don't. Know, I can only. You can only. I can't explain it to someone who hasn't been to that place. Yeah. I used to describe it as being the Mike Collins when the two men had gone down to the moon and he was circling. Except I stayed in that dark place all the time. Yes. There was no human being I could talk to. I didn't know what was happening to me and I wanted life to be over. And so a day at a time, I did, I did actually do some foolish things. I, um, I made a pact with the angel of death at an NA meeting. I said if the angel of death came knocking on my door, I would welcome her in and embrace what she had for me. And so the angel of death visited me when I was in my car. And there was a presence in my car. And I left my body and I was about, I know these are strange things, but they they happened to me. I was looking down on my car and this voice said to me, if you want to leave, you can go. Mm -hmm. So I was at the point of death and I had to choose whether I wanted to live or die. And my little dog was in the car he jumped into my lap and he started licking my face and I yes. came back into my body and it was like he was saying, please don't go, mm. I need you. And I, I pulled over to the side of the road and I just wept and repented of what I'd done. But I knew that in doing that, I, I had to make a choice that was like black or white. I couldn't be half-baked about this anymore. Yeah. You know, I really had to surrender all. Mm. And so, I, you know, I've come through that to the place of... Um, I met I met John Yates, and he was a spiritual mentor that has corrected my vision because John John is about Jesus like nobody I know. That's right. You know, and um, the first time I met John was when I was using when I was doing my relapse, and I went to a Bible college talk with run by a guy called Ashley Crane. It's called Harvest Bible College. I know Ashley, and I know John Yates. In fact, if you look on the back of my book. There is John Yates, Dr. John Yates, a creative call to return to a genuine crisis. I know, lots life. of people know John. He's, he's, so, he's yeah, a special person. He's endorsed my, all my books. What I did to John and Ashley was a hint of what I used to be like because I went down there with this bee in my bonnet and a, I'd consumed a packet of OxyContin so I could barely stand. But I was convinced I was right. <laughs> Or John and Ashley, and um, I got up at the end of John's talk, and I just laid into him, you know, because uh, I, ha- I was indignant about something. At St. Mark's, huh? At St. Mark's? No, it was at it was at uh, Harvest Bible College. Oh, at the Bible College. And Ashley had just lost his wife, and oh. so he was in the same state that I was later. Yeah. And he and I nearly got into a punch up, and um. <laughs> the people were cleared. Were you a student at the Harvest? No, 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 no. What were you doing there? I decided I was going to go down there and confront John. <laughs> That's nice. I was, was mad. It was John was teaching at the at the college. He was lecturing, yeah. yeah. But what happened with me and John is we went out the back, and John spoke this word to me, and it was so accurate. He, John doesn't know what it actually means, but he spoke it to me, and it struck so deep in my soul it brought me to my senses. Yes. And I made amends to him and apologized to him, and I pr- he prayed for me, and I prayed for him. But Ashley wasn't, didn't see that. Ashley was still mad at me, so I had to 
negotiate that when I left. Um, looking back now, you know, like I owe Ashley an amends. I, I didn't realise, I didn't know he'd lost his wife and I know what that means today. And when I was in that place, man, I was, I could, I got in some very angry places in that, in that place as well. But anyway, I met John again only maybe two and a half years ago and he was at a Bible study that I'd been invited to because someone in the rehab was going there. <laughs> and, um, and I sat there, I said, uh, I said, uh, what's your surname, John? He goes, Yates. And I said, oh, that, that would explain why you look like John Yates. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then John spoke some, he gave me some words of knowledge into my life. And they were from the Lord directly. And he, he didn't outline it. He just said, he said, your vision and understanding of grace is very limited. That was one of them. So I went off and did a study on grace. <laughs> I read every book I could. I read all the passages on it. I prayed for revelation. I got to understand a little about grace. And then the next thing he said to me is he said that you're lacking identity in Christ. Yeah. And, um, and I went off and did that. I looked, at, I looked at what that meant. And I can remember the time. This is, I had many, many. I had like... I've spent the last five years in this place without my wife in grief, in aloneness, me and the Lord, reading his scriptures. I get, I get with people every day because it's very important to get with people. But um, he was just inputting stuff into me. Yeah. And um, so I'm walking my little dog down the hill filled with woes, woe is me, like in, in the grief I was when it brought up every loss that I'd ever had in my life, right from childhood through everything. Yeah. My wasted years, all the opportunities I'd squandered, all of the crazy things I'd done about life to miss out on it. You know, I was weighed down, man. Yeah. And I'm, I'm walking down the hill and I was contemplating the scripture of life in the spirit. And I had this experience where I separated from myself and I went into this born-again, eternal, incorruptible spirit that I have been given yes. from the Lord for yes. just a glimpse. Yeah. And I saw my old man, which is me, and everything that I've ever known, everything was input into me. I was programmed with that I experienced hanging on the cross as an old coat. And I wasn't that. Mm. I was this born-again spirit. And from that day, that's how I've been walking. That this flesh that's decaying around me, that's not who I am. I don't find my identity in that anymore. I don't find my identity in any of the past that's happened to me. I, I can still connect with the emotions of it. I can still shed tears about it. But it's not my identity. Mm. My identity is in Christ. I'm born again. I've been remade in his image. I have an eternal incorruptible spirit in me that it doesn't know the decay and the corruption that, that my worldly self knew. Yeah. And my life, you know, I've had a few more sufferings come along. So I, four weeks ago I had two liver tumours removed and a gallbladder out and I'm, I'm going to see the transplant team on the 20th. Liver transplant. Liver transplant, yeah. So they're, they're, they're serious issues. But when I was in hospital... The Lord visited me in his spirit and all I could think about 
was transmitting the joy that's in me to the yes. people who are there yeah. because they're all suffering. Mm. The patients and the staff. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't go and talk to them directly about Jesus. I talked to them about God. But I also put humour and smiles into their life. So they, I think a few of them looked at me a bit strangely. What's this guy doing so happy, you know, and he's just been <laughs> sliced to ribbons and <laughs> had serious stuff happening. You know? And my recovery has been miraculous. You know, like three weeks after being in hospital after that, I'm back doing a 20K bike ride. Wow. Unbelievable. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And um, I, I, I was afraid of the liver transplant and I prayed to the Lord. I prayed with my music partner and I said, I'd, I'd like to meet someone who's had a liver transplant. Mm. So four days later, yeah. through a connection of a connection of a connection, I get in touch with this guy. Yeah. He's almost the same age as me. He's been through so many similar things as me. He's not an addict, but he's been through similar things. He's had a liver transplant for six years. And he came over to visit me and spend two hours with me, and he's a Christian. Wow. We talked about the Lord and what that meant. And um, he, he was so filled with gratitude about being given another chance of life, just absolutely brimming with it. Wow. It's all he could say. I, I was terrified. I thought, what happens when I get the organ of another person inside me? Yeah. Am I going to end up like them? <laughs> what if they're unsaved? What if, what if they're a psychopath or an axe murderer or, yeah. you know, using my dramatic, uh, melodramatic sense? And he said, I am so grateful. And it just washed all my fears away. And not only that, he's a real estate agent. He's going to help me sell my house, which is another obstacle I'm facing. And I just had this sense of the Lord is holding me in the palm of his hand so close in every way and all my fears have melted away and I can trust him and I'm standing on the rock and my every day is devoted to service in his kingdom Amen. and to serving him. And, and today and coming, being invited here is another typical day in my life. <laughs> What's next for you? What's next? Um, Well, th there are some things on the horizon that have been spoken to me that that um, haven't seen the light of day yet, but I believe they're going to happen. And and the other thing is, is that I've been praying for about a year now with my prayer partner that, that Jesus Christ, his lordship will be established in this 12-step fellowship I am because they're just a hair's breadth away from it. And that's starting to happen. We've formed a connect group. We pray together on Thursday nights. This has never happened before. Yeah. Um, but the, the the guy I'm praying with is a pastor. He was at the he was at that meeting, and um, he he believes something big is coming along, and um, and I think the Lord is getting us ready. So I've got I've got I've kind of I'm doing lots of things on a daily basis. They're very spontaneous. Um, to be honest, I don't really know where they're leading to. You know, mm -hmm. uh, to glorify God, to glorify Absolutely. Jesus. Uh, exalt him and give thanks to him. But I, I know there are details to it. Mm. Um, but, you know, on, on, a, on any given day, I, I have waves of gratitude come over me. So, so whatever he gets got me doing, I'm happy. You know? yeah. I'm happy to be doing it. Thanks, man. Mm. Well, what an amazing story. And you're impacting many lives. You've been in prison. You've got connect groups. You've 
speaking to many people or through you're just ministering and ministering. It's not even about staying clean anymore. It's about how no. many people you can impact and influence with the gospel message. Well, I used to identify with the addict, but now I identify with those who suffer. Yeah. Because, you know, even John, the closest disciple to Jesus, he yeah. said in his letter in Revelation, he said, I, John, am your brother and I share in your Suffering. sufferings. Wow. That's how he identifies himself. Yeah. Well, I feel like That's that. Powerful. You know, I feel like that because suffering, suffering produces the real fruit and nobody in their right mind would embrace suffering. However, there are some inevitables that bring suffering. Getting old. Yes. <laughs> you know, it will come. You don't have to, you know, you don't you have to do any of that stuff. You just yeah. go about your life and old age will come. You know, yeah. if, what, what does King Solomon call it? The evil days. <laughs> well, they're not evil days for us, but yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're challenging days. Yeah. But my, my, um, my understanding, I, I, I always had this idea, and I think it's a wrong concept, that, that suffering through tribulation was about suffering for the sake of transmitting the gospel. And, of course, there's a whole range of it that's associated sure. with it. But it's just the suffering of being a human being living in this fallen world. Yeah. And if I take that to Christ, that's where I'm delivered, is when I take that suffering to him. Because my first instinct in the flesh is when something goes wrong, like I got an infected tooth. Panic, quick, what do we do? Run around. Yeah. So I thought, eat your own words, Pete. What do we do? Uh, something's gone wrong, we take our suffering to Christ. Lord, what do I do? I've got an infected tooth. And I just got this sense of peace, you know, peace. Don't panic, take it easy. Yeah. Which I did because I had a whole range of things to do over the you know, I had, I had places to go, people to meet, you know, with yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So I couldn't just, you know, drop everything and go and look after the tooth. And then come Sunday, it's like, well, you really do need to do something about it. So I pray. I wake up Monday morning. I'm going to the doctors. I look up appointments. 8 a.m., the only appointment. <laughs> First cab off the rank. <laughs> yeah, you took it. Thank you, Lord. This is what happens when you put your suffering on you. Yeah. He looks after it, you know. Praise God. You're a massive inspiration for us. Thank you so much for sharing your story and just for bringing the true humanity of who you are to us. Thank I you. actually, I say to people, you know, to be Christian is to be fully human. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. We, we often think that you're no longer a human when you're a Maybe Christian. you're perfected. No, no, it's, it's fully human. You're actually in your full dimension, in your full hurt, in your full abundance, in full of everything. That's it. That's when you're completely human. And, and to go around and scrub yourself and polish yourself up, that's not what it's about. That's right. Well done. Well, what an amazing story. They, they, they're always surprising, aren't they? And we never know where these land. But I'm sure the story will land with some of you out there who are listening to this or watching this on YouTube. Yeah, we, we showed this on YouTube. We um, put the audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many, many Captivate FM and many, many other uh, stations out there and platforms. Please share this content with others so others can be inspired, lifted up, and encouraged. And um, if you love this 
story Peter's story please connect with us again because we will bring you another story next week we are kingdom stories from mm. down under when we profile local people from perth western australia who have a kingdom story to tell and if theirs is worth telling so is yours so if you have a story that you like to share do connect with us and we'd love to hear you and give you the platform as well bless you and we'll see you next week take care Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.